beautiful people and thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest episode of the Learning to Be podcast. This is a podcast for curious humans where I talk to incredible and inspiring guests about their journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance. My name's Amy Holdy and I'm a life coach and writer living in London. I work predominantly with women who feel they've lost touch with who they are, what makes them happy and want more from life, but they feel guilty for saying it out loud because on paper their life looks successful. I talk more about my work as well as my everyday thoughts and experiences honestly and openly on my Instagram, so you can follow me there at Amy Holdy. You can also head over to my website amyholdy.com to find out more about my work as a coach. Each week, before we dive into the episode, I share some food for thought with you. And this week, I want to talk about self-doubt. My podcast guest, Leona, and I touch upon this in this episode, and I think it's something that we all experience at certain times. It's that voice that plays over and over in our heads, which then prevents us from doing the things we want or being the person we know we are. I think for some of us, self-doubt will always play a role in our lives, but it's important to try and acknowledge it and also keep it in check. So if this sounds like you, try to think about where your self-doubt comes from. Is it a story that you've been telling yourself for years that isn't actually true? And then challenge yourself. Just do one small thing this week that makes you feel a little bit nervous. It might be reaching out to an old friend that you've drifted apart from and you don't really know why. Or it could be applying for that job you've had your eye on, but you keep telling yourself you're not good enough for. Try believing in yourself for just a minute. And finally, a few words about the episode you're about to hear. This week, I talked to Leona Nicole Black, a tarot therapist and academic living in London. We chat about building a life that works for you instead of following society's blueprint because success and happiness look and feel different for everyone. Leona shares her story about building her business from the heart and the joy and challenges that come with this. We also discuss the identity shift that comes with deciding to follow a different path in your life, having to grieve for what you're losing but also birthing something new. And Leona talks openly about burnout, pushing through self-doubt to achieve the work she believes in, finding her voice as a tarot therapist and navigating academia as a black woman from a working class background and the lack of mental health support in this space. I loved having this conversation with Leona because we touched on so many topics that are close to my heart and I really hope that you enjoy it too. So here it is. Today I'm speaking to a beautiful soul, Leona Nicole Black. Um, Leona is a passionate educator, tarot therapist and well-being advocate. She's also a black British academic currently working on her PhD, Beyond the Problem of Blackness, where she aims to explore and articulate black joy in the world we live in today. I first met Leona um, back in March um, because a friend recommended her four-week birth chart consultation course. Um, I was completely new to astrology and I remember just after the first session um, that I had with Leona, I was just completely blown away by her passion, knowledge and just the amount of detail and love that she'd put into this massive slide deck that we talked through. Um, And also the way in which she explained my birth chart to me, I was instantly hooked. Um, So we had four sessions and at the end of those four sessions, I... I really spent a lot of time 
um, thinking about everything that we discussed and really looking at myself and my life in a completely different way. It was really powerful and empowering to have someone talk through some of my most inner feelings with. Um, and I felt I could understand myself a lot more and therefore make more conscious decisions about the way in which I wanted to be and the things that I wanted to focus on. So a really like truly life-changing experience from from being with and working with Leona. And so I really wanted to speak to Leona today because I'm just fascinated by the work that you do and the raw and open way in which um, she always communicates with her community on Instagram. So hello, beautiful Leona. Hey, and Amy. Thank you so much for having a chat with me today. No, it's my pleasure. And thank you for that intro. While you were um, kind of sharing that, I was doing really deep breaths because I'm trying to practice like receiving love and praise and compliments. And I feel like normally they bounce off me. You smile, you say thank you, and then it's like you deflect them away. But I'm trying to internalize um, my impact and the good things I'm doing in the world. So I was like, at first I was like, cringe. And then I was like, (laughs) receive the love, receive the love. So thank you for that. Oh, good. Do you know what? (laughs) I was speaking to someone else actually very recently about that exact same thing, about Mm. how difficult we all find it to receive compliments and praise from others and how critical we are of ourselves and yeah, I think it's something that we all probably need to work on, isn't it? To really kind of like absorb those positive thoughts instead of just being like, stop talking, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's all completely true. And yeah, it's been lovely getting to know you this year. Um, and yeah, I just, I really wanted to have you on the podcast because um, I know that well I feel like everything that you're doing you know with your PhD um with your work in tarot and astrology it's kind of you're really you're forging your own path in life and you're really making autonomous decisions about the work that you want to do and the things that you want to manifest in the world and to me that feels like you need a hell of a lot of confidence and determination um to do that and I just wondered where that comes from or or what you feel about that Mm. I mean I think that's probably a twofold answer Mm -hmm. as in some of the confidence I have to do the things I'm doing now has been like built upon from doing smaller things um and so we'll talk about it later I'm sure but I'm kind of running this kind of online project called The Connect at the moment and when I think about it a lot of what I'm doing there I'm using the skills I cultivated when I was like Black Feminist Society like president at uni do you know what I mean like and having a weekly space where I showed up and I led and I connected with people and it's literally that created the confidence for me and the confidence from that came from something else and so every small thing you do, like everything you do at the level that you're at now is like cultivating that strength within you to stretch yourself beyond yourself. There's that. And then there's the sense that whenever you're kind of expanded into something else, you don't actually have the confidence for the next level, I personally feel. So for me, I meet most of my tasks with a lot of fear, self-doubt and anxiety. And I realise that that doesn't necessarily go away along the way. So as much as like I've done things this year I feel quite proud of now, that's another topic, but (laughs) looking back, I've done some really good things this year and the things that I'm working on, creating and pushing forward next year, I'm terrified of. And just like, can I do it? I don't know, will anybody show up? And I think you keep that at every level, but it's about 
doing it anyway that's that's my motto at the moment like okay you feel scared you're not sure do it anyway do it anyway do it anyway yeah definitely and what gives you that that final nudge to be like I am just gonna do it anyway um in some ways a track record now so to be honest like I've, I can look back and see okay you did this and it didn't fail you did this and it kind of worked like try this there's that but also I think it's a sense of purpose and direction so it's like a lot of the work that I do really comes from my heart like it's very soul-based heart-based work and it's like if I don't do this then I'm cheating myself because this is actually what's true for me. This is what I want to give. This is actually what lights me up. And so while oftentimes it's a service or it's something that I'm giving, it's also really honoring what I feel and how I see the world and what I want to do with my time. And that is enough to kind of push me over the edge of what if and I don't know. Yeah. Because, because otherwise, just, yeah. sorry, otherwise it's like, well, if you don't, then you've already lost like that you already don't have the thing that you think you might not have mm. so you might as well you know yeah and because it feels so true to you there's no other option right you just have to go that's it yeah that's and, how I feel about it yeah that makes a lot of sense and do you feel like was there a kind of moment or a time in your life where you felt like you had um an understanding of what you wanted to put out into the world or do you feel like this kind of was it was a thing that grew over time from a really 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 young age I felt a very strong commitment to the black community and racial politics like that I honestly feel like it, it is as much a spiritual gift as anything else it has been with me for as long as I can remember and it's not an energy or a heart it's not a love that has receded and so I moved through life kind of knowing that that's the work I wanted to do okay that's why you know I was quite good academically and it's why I, I chose that path for myself um the things that I studied you know taking that journey through black studies and MA in race and resistance all of that for me was priming me to produce, to write, and to do things that I felt could affect the condition of black people locally and globally. And then um, I had my spiritual awakening and it really had, was nothing to do with what I thought I was gonna be doing with my life. And that was, I was extremely conflicted, really, really conflicted thinking actually I've spent my whole life down a certain trajectory and I don't know, I didn't want to be pulled in another direction. I didn't know how to integrate the two. So I struggled for a long time. And also, I've said this often, coming from a very cerebral, intellectual space. And then, you know, suddenly doing like tarot and astrology. And for me now, like Orisha work and ancestor veneration, it was just so unheard of. Mm. And it was so opposed to the way I was used to thinking about the world. And I found that quite hard. I found mm. that change of trajectory hard. Definitely. Because it's a whole identity shift, isn't it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. And how did, you, how did you manage that time to kind of negotiate those two parts of yourself? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was kicking and screaming, really. Um, I say very often I have tantrums. That's, I'm still a baby at heart in some ways. Aren't we all? I definitely kick and scream. <laughs> and I had loads of meltdowns and, like, complete frustration. And I 
kind of, a t- I, I think one of the things, and I'm still working on it, it was finding my voice was really important. I think my whole spiritual awakening began there mm-hmm. um, in learning to hear, listen to myself and figure out what I literally sounded like and what I wanted because yes. I was so tuned into everybody else's voices, everyone else's advice for me. I was very sensitive to external opinions and so that was one of the first things I had to work on and then I just couldn't find my voice in the spiritual space right so I was used to writing in a certain tone or I was just like so I adopted the kind of voice that I would hear online right you know it's new moon manifest or whatever but that's really not really who I am and so I struggled I really struggled but I think what I thought what happens really is when your life path is shifting when like what's right for you is somewhere else you begin to feel a lot of closed doors in the space that you're in you feel a lot of um obstacles and restriction and I started to feel that in my intellectual space and on my academic path and so it really was in some ways a dead end you know so I literally could not stay there and live in that comfort zone anymore and so I guess the negotiating and creating space to rebirth an identity came through a lot of grief you know and like grieving my old life and the plans I had for myself and really walking in the darkness around what a different path could look or feel like. Mm, Yeah and that's been something that you've been exploring over the last couple of years right so taking that break from academia and really focusing on more of your spiritual side and I guess that you were saying about you know, your work being such an extension of who you are and what you believe in. And I guess that in itself is like really, really difficult sometimes to manage. And I wonder like what that kind of looks and feels like for you on a day to day, because it's not just like going to an office, right? And you can kind of switch Mm -hmm. off and, you know, this this is your heart that you're putting out there like every day. Like how do you sort of manage the good and bad around that? It's a great question. I feel this year has been quite defining for me career-wise. I think, Mm. you know, last year was just a lot about me expanding, finding that confidence to create, putting myself out there, doing things. And then this year was much more of a refining process around the way that I work. And I was thinking about this because I knew I was going to speak to you. And I was thinking about having, like, come from a semi-corporate background or at least works in, like, government organisations and really... I'm for the viewers, a Virgo, and I really enjoy efficiency and organization. And um, I picked up a lot of that. You know, I think I'm quite a good project manager, and I took those skills into the business and the work I do now, and it didn't work, really. That's interesting. It didn't work, and I wanted it to work. I like having, you know, I care about email responses and booking online. I care about all those small details, but for the for heart based work, you know, I realized that my business is a living, breathing thing, and the boxes that I was trying to fit into didn't work. So in terms of like that managing the day to day, the good and the bad, rather than other people, it really started with myself. It started with me really thinking, I have these goals. I want to make this much. I want this level of a platform, and then kind of bending all my work into that template, and it was really destroying me, like emotionally, mentally, physically. I was exhausted and burnt out a lot. And I remember calling a friend one day and just being like, I can't believe like I like left 
there were times where like I'd be on the bus crying because I hate my job, right? So I left like a job I hated, the right way, so to call it, to find like purposeful work in academia and now soulful work. And I feel now the same level of burnout and exhaustion and like, how can my spiritual work be a rat race? Like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do this, I can't, I'm tired, like, yeah, and she was like, you just got to work, I was like, no, like, you know, I was having a tantrum, I will not, and, well, I didn't realise at the time that it was just my approach to it, it was that I believed that a successful business looks like this, mm. and again, because I'm quite stubborn, um, and it takes me a while to give into what I know is true, um, I went through a very painful process in, like, releasing that work cycle, and now, I'm like open up to something that feels so much better, mm. but a much more flexible way of working and recognizing that if my work is so tied to who I am and if it's based on my heart, then it has to be um, fluid with where I am and how I'm feeling and what I need. Like yeah. my business has to match my needs and not me match my business. Definitely. And that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I, I completely hear what you're saying and like obviously you know where I am I'm nowhere near as established as you but it's like I found myself doing that I've kind of made this schedule for myself where mm. you know I'm gonna write content I need to plan this I'm you know working on excel and trying to like organize like and you just think it's kind of this indoctrination isn't it to this it is. way that we've been told this is how you get success yeah. But it's almost that you have to kind of break all of that stuff down and start again. And I guess that's kind of what leads me into my next question is like, well, what, what does success now look like for you? Because, you know, maybe it's not all of that making this and having this many followers and all the rest of it. Like, what does yeah. it actually look like for you now? I feel like I'm realising how important it is to be like self-aware and very conscious um, and I mean this in the sense of particularly people who are like in um, kind of spiritual or new age spaces or going through process of awakening. We talk about consciousness a lot, but I mean it as in like really being aware of what drives you and mm. what makes you feel alive or what you need. And if I really think about it, even when I was young, I have always visualized. I was a child who dreamed a lot. I went to bed and imagined my future life. I was like that all the time. And I always envisioned um a life that had a lot of space for love and family and I never saw myself working all the time I do like to work I love productivity but I've always when I was like 10 years old I saw myself like married and with children and I had a yellow house for some reason <laughs> and um and that hasn't changed and so a few years back there was um a woman that I follow online um she's called Amber Khan she's a tarot reader and I noticed in her insta stories that she had a lot of free time like, I just was like, she seems to be relaxing a lot. Yeah. And I was like, I want that. Like, I saw her, like, on swings, a whole adult <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the day swing. And I was like, I want it. That's what I want. I want a life that allows that. And so when I transitioned into this work, it did create a lot of time and space for me. But I had not connected with the fact that that was what success looked like for me. And so I felt guilty about yes. time. I would fill my time with more work. And... I didn't re I re I didn't I did not create space for that true heart-based picture of what my success looked like 
and I was like really driven by you know either security issues right like I need to make this much to fill to cover my bills or I need to grow in these ways you know to show that my business is worth it really Mm. and when I went through that period of like real burnout and I really got to a place where I didn't love the work yeah and you know, most people say that's normal. Like once you start doing things that you don't have to love it, but I'm not sure that's true. Mm. I think it was the way I was doing the work. And when I sat back, I was like, oh, like the thing that you said you loved, you've made no room for it at all. And you, act- you actively resist it. <laughs> so that's one of the things that's like really changed for me. And I'm still unlearning it. Like you said, it's an indoctrination. So even now I still have that like restlessness, like, I've been cultured into believing that most of your time should be spent working. Mm. So if I, you know, I'm chilling for a day, I'm just like, oh, but have you achieved anything? Or, you know, is this laziness? Yes. (laughs) But I'm like, oh, I don't think, I don't believe our days are meant to be spent um, toiling only. Mm. And so part of my vision of success for myself now is like real space for like replenishment and regeneration, like space to to play and to exist and to experience mm-hmm. and then to take that level of being back into my work. And I'm definitely happier, um, more grounded, less resentful <laughs> about showing up to give to people because um, I'm trying to create a shift in my mindset around needing to really nourish myself. Yeah. Definitely. And I guess it's so funny, isn't it? Because from my perspective, you know, a lot of what you do is about helping people find that peace within themselves. But actually, you and you weren't prepared to give yourself that. I was not. <laughs> I was not. Um, and sorry to cut you, but it's also that concept of when your work defines you in some ways, mm. you allow what you give to other people to be the thing that you think is feeding you. So for me, it was like, working with clients and seeing a transformation like seeing that for me was meant to be I thought that was it I Mm. thought oh great like that nourishes me I feel really good about it and it's really comes from like codependency culture anyway like we've really been taught that you give and then someone else gives to you and that's how you get filled up and we are never taught to fill ourselves yeah so even in work I was like well as long as I'm doing good work then do you know what I mean I'm serving myself whilst I was exhausted and then miserable and then burnt out and then like I'm telling people to do things I don't even have time to do myself. And I was just like, yeah, this is not working, is it? Um, so, yeah. yeah. It's just this cycle, isn't it? And I I don't know, do you feel like it's changing? Do you feel like, because obviously there's a lot of conversation around this, isn't there, at the moment? And there are a lot of people doing their own things and there are a lot of people who clearly want to create a different life and a different set up for themselves but do you feel like it is fundamentally changing and there are those opportunities for people to say do you know what I don't work nine to five in this way I do xyz and or do you think there's still quite a stigma around that no I don't think it's changing I mean I feel like what is changing is I do think a lot more people are better on themselves so to speak like taking those leaps of faith creating um projects from their heart doing the things that they care about I do think that's changing but 
I think until we shift our emotional, our patterns of feeling around work and our attitudes, we'll fall into the same trap I did, right? Which is taking that same work culture yeah. into our personal projects and, and perpetuating that cycle. Yeah. And I think that that's where we fundamentally need to change. And it's a really hard change to make because there's so many layers to it. It isn't just the external nine to five culture or capitalism. For some of us, it's also like our family culture Mm. and like what we've literally grown up with in the home, whether that's coming from a space in which, you know, there's a lot of politics or emphasis on work, or it's coming from a space where you've seen people out of work And so you start having kind of like picking up on fear and trauma because of that. There's so much there Mm. that just says, you know, fill your life with work to feel better and secure. And I think that has to shift before anything else can really change. Yeah, yeah, completely. And talking about, you know, family and stuff, do you feel like you've been supported in your decisions with your work, with your family? Ooh, what question? <laughs> do they understand? Do you, or do, do some of your family? No. no. Um, so when I was doing like academic work, I think that comes with a certain prestige. Yeah. And um, even then, I don't think my family really understood what I was doing and what I was working on, but they got it. Like, she's well at uni. <laughs> she's doing a PhD. <laughs> they could articulate so it. <laughs> yeah. You know, my mum would sometimes say, what's that thing you're studying again? I'm trying to tell my friends. So... <laughs> But there was definitely um, an understanding in that lane. When I moved out into my spiritual, my heart-based work, um, I kept it a secret for a long time oh, okay. just because of the cultural stigma around um, tarot and astrology especially. I mean, I think they'd have an even harder time if they knew the level I was working on now. Like, right. <laughs> I'm kind of more opening myself up much more to African spirituality. I think there would be a real struggle there. So... I don't, I haven't felt supported necessarily, but I think in some ways that has been because I've hidden it Mm. or kept that safe. I've made it feel safe for me in ways I thought was necessary. And to my family members who I have explored it with, I think I'm at a level of um, acceptance as in they don't, there's no criticism or judgment. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, we know you do that and they're okay with it. And I am, I think that's where we're at, you know, it's a work in progress, but that's, that's where where we're at with it. Yeah, definitely. And, and do you feel comfortable with that? You're like, I actually don't need to have their full support and knowledge about what I'm doing. It's better (laughs) for me anyway. Yeah. I'm very much, I'm very independent. I'm I'm a maverick and I like, to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy not having um, feedback <laughs> about my next step. I do. I like knowing that this is something that's very soulful and heart-based for me. And I think it's really important that when you're taking steps that's like based on heart work, that some of your seeds that you're sowing have to be sown in the dark, right? That they have yeah. to be sown in quiet. And uh, when it becomes a sapling, like when you start growing that strength then you can start to share but for me I much prefer to not have a chorus about um what I'm doing that's my nature and I'm a very sensitive and very hard on myself person so I need that just to get started I need that silence yeah okay and do you feel like you're taking steps to I know you said at the beginning you know you were breathing and you were really trying to take in and absorb those words like what other steps do you feel like you're taking in your day-to-day to to try and be less hard on yourself maybe and and kind of cultivate happiness more in your life? I know that you've said about kind of 
um, burnout and maybe changing your approach to work but are there any other things that you feel like you've done? I think for me this year has mostly been the things I haven't done (laughs) yeah that makes sense Um, and I think last year when one of the things that was really helpful for me was really shifting um, how can I put it my inner my mental voice I realized how critical I was of myself and this is something that first came up uh, I suffered, suffered with cycles of depression in my life so in 2010 when I was first diagnosed I did like CBT counseling which was really helpful for me at the time and you know we worked on like core beliefs and I could really see how harsh, how terribly I spoke to and thought about myself and how it was literally sapping and stifling me emotionally and then therefore every other way. And, you know, I think a couple of years ago, I started really working on that again. And I read a book by Brené Brown called The Gifts of Imperfection. And, oh, my goodness, did I need that book. And it really helped me shift my inner voice and my attitude towards myself and my approach to kind of work and play. And then I think after a while that it kind of slips. It's like you recalibrate and then it can kind of slide. And I realized in the last couple of weeks that my mental voice has become really harsh again. And I've been you know, I've I've been branching out and doing new things. And like I said, like, you know, feeling fearful and doing it anyway. But the next frontier of that is feeling like crippling self-doubt and criticism after having done it, you know, like that, oh, you were terrible. You didn't do that well enough. And not being able to bounce back very well from that. And it was like, I sat down the other day and I was like, wow, you have completely lost control of your inner dialogue. Like, it feels like somebody else speaks to me. And so recently my work has been reclaiming my mind, um, reclaiming. It's like when we began recording this, you know, you noted that like the space that my room, the space that I'm in is like super comfortable. And that's really important to me in physical space. And I'm realizing that my inner space, my mental space has to be as loving and nurturing and as comfortable as that. And it hasn't been. So one of the things that I'm really working on now is really correcting my mental habits because it's it really drives a lot. It drives um, a lot of your kind of patterns of feeling and therefore your resilience to do things or not do things. And one of the ways that I find really helpful um, I hate affirmations. They say this all the time. Like, I'm very, like, I'm a bit of an anti-traditionalist and I don't <laughs> like things that are tried and true. <laughs> and affirmations are great, but I don't like them. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I don't like... I'm just really ridiculous. I don't like sitting and saying positive things to myself. But what I have found really helpful is having things on the wall. And mm. um, for some reason it literally seeps into me if I have that in my environment. So my commitment to myself has been putting up affirmations, like perspectives that I find really helpful and healing. And I find that when I do that, after a matter of months, I can look at it and feel like I've, I've like mastered or at least internalized that statement. And so that's what I'm doing right now. That's really important for me at this stage of my work is like reclaiming my mind. It's run away from me it's super harsh and it's not helpful so that's one of the main things I think yeah and I know we were talking before we started recording about the fact that so many of us are so critical of ourselves internally and I wonder for you has that voice always been there or do you feel like it's become more harsh over the years as you as you've grown um 
I feel um, to bring it to astrology, it really is a, a Virgo. It's our like Achilles heel. It's like it's where we trip up, and so yeah, it's always been there internally. But I think it can it can increase when you don't have external um, conditions for nurturing and. I know we talk a lot about not having external validation and needing to like, and that's true. Like, I think it is your core, you need that core scaffolding of internal validation. But if we think, if we keep this metaphor, we build on top of that scaffolding and your community, your family, the people around you are kind of the bricks that support that core sense of like self-worth and confidence and acceptance. And I think when you don't have a fully built building then that scaffolding weakens you know and so I think my voice of criticism can become louder with time with isolation you know if I'm going through periods of isolation and I'm not getting a lot of external feedback positive if reinforcing it then I can get very very hard on myself I think um I've had it since childhood and I think that voice can actually become very crippling. Mm. So it was definitely a few years where I didn't do anything. I didn't create anything. I didn't put myself out there. Mm. I would sometimes be at dinner with friends and I could feel myself shrinking into myself and just feeling like I shouldn't speak. My opinions don't matter. Really, really just the shell of the self that I am now. And it was purely from my self-talk. It was purely from allowing this inner... Um, tyrant um Mm. to tell me I was undeserving of having any space in my life and I don't from I mean I'm 31 and so I feel like of the years I've had on this planet so far I've never known that voice to fully disappear Mm. so for me the work is being in conversation with it um which is uh no I don't agree with that no be quiet I did not ask you to tell me that like (laughs) that and then sometimes it's a more nurturing like understanding the, that voice as a very wounded part of yourself mm. you know that it's very it's a very wounded self-inflicted pain and sometimes it needs compassion rather than correction yeah. so I feel like it's like literally living with another person in your head mm. you know that might sound really weird to people but that's how I'm experiencing it mm. and when I become when I stop remembering that is when that voice takes full control. That's when it's done. It gets in the, the, the driving wheel and I don't want it to stay in my life. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And I wonder how that played out when you were like really absorbed in the world of academia, because I was reading one of your blogs and it, um, and you said, um, I was young, black, working class woman looking for legitimacy in the hallways of white power. And I mean, if anything is going to kind of fuel that critical voice it's that environment right so how did you how did you deal with that you know imposter syndrome critical critical self-evaluation and all of that in that world that you were in for so long actually I think um I was talking about this with some colleagues recently um and I think a lot of us have been sharing on this now for when you get to a PhD level it is so stifling I feel like I haven't had the time really to really sit or I haven't taken the space really to sit and really think about the differences at each level of study for me um but I felt like I had 
some really good academic experiences when I was very young, um, particularly secondary school, primary school and secondary school, both of them. But in secondary school, they really sold me on the meritocracy. And I'm not mad at them for it, but they really did. Like, they really made me believe if I worked hard, you know, if I had the ability, that would result in success, you know, and I would get exactly what I deserved. And I think, you know, I was in a majority black school. We had really, really teachers who cared. And they pushed me and they stretched me and they told me you can go to the top universities and you can do all of that. And I I consumed that positivity and I did stretch myself and I, I and I did that. I went to Redbrook Unis. And then I got in there and I was like, my God, this is awful. Mm, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> no one had really prepared me for the... I, I did all the getting there and then there was no preparation for being there. Yeah. And, but I think I still had like a lot of... I think what, what begins to erode the longer you stay in that space is actually your academic confidence, you know? And you don't, in the same way that I talk about that inner scaffolding and needing those layers of bricks to be built on it, I do think that our um, education system in this country does not build those bricks of mm. confidence. It doesn't nurture us. It doesn't um, establish us. It doesn't stretch us in ways that's healthy. And that the whole academic culture is one of criticism. Mm. And it's seen as something um, that's positive and rigorous. And that's how like meaningful and useful work is produced through perpetual critique. And I found that culture to be really um harmful to be honest and I've noticed both for myself and other um particularly women black women femmes extreme cases of like severe mental health problems going through um that system a lot of people having to take time off you know literally just to cope and really losing the the strength the esteem the hope like that you come into that space with because you're given this knife on a regular basis that's what it feels like it's literally this cutting knife and I think because we, to some extent, at least I did, like you believe a lot in the system in you. You don't you don't go into academia, you don't go into a PhD without some great hopes for what you can achieve there. And so because of that, you buy into the system as well, right? You buy and you prep yourself and you feel like, yes, I should go through this because it's going to make me better. It's going to like refine me. Yeah. And then you start to deny the difficulty coping <laughs> that you're having when you find actually it's really not building me up. Well, because it's so established, right so many people are going through that you kind of internalize it for like well maybe it's me I just need to like um be stronger I just need to just take on the chin I just need to I just need to and there's so many there's so many layers to it but one of the things I say for example is I had the great I won't call it a privilege I deserved it but I had the opportunity to teach whilst I was at uni and I'm an educator by vocation I loved teaching at university level like I loved teaching in undergrads and I taught a particular um module and I had like a really a student that was just a, such a standout um a young woman in the class and I asked her to stay back after class once I just said to you you're super brilliant like your work it's exceptional you know your contributions and she was startled 
and she was in her third year of her undergraduate program so she's gone through three years of university and I was the first person who had said to her you're brilliant you're good like and I was like that's not okay do you know what I mean that's not okay at all and I feel like I went through the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. I went through the same thing when I was coming up, but I had this kind of sense of purpose, like it was my great purpose to become an academic. If you don't have this great sense of like something in life is calling you on this journey, then what happens to you? You, I think you really get left in the wayside and looking at her as she kind of walked away, it just for me, I was like, this is the issue, you know, like a student like that should have never gone, she should, it should have never shocked her to have heard and at this stage I'm a TA you know I'm not her lecturer it shouldn't have taken her to get to that stage for her to feel kind of validated and reinforced and and then where does she go to talk about her options for like cultivating her skills you know where does that happen it doesn't Mm. so I feel like Truthfully, I'm really disillusioned with academia at this point. I'm seriously disillusioned with it. My commitment to like um, the ideas, the work, the truths that I want to make evident, so to speak, through the process is still there. But I used to think that my job would be to get a job like teaching in that space. Yeah. And for me now, I'm just like, why would I do that to myself? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not... It just, I think there was like a report that came out um, like a couple of days ago about like severe wage gaps for black academics. And I'm mm. just like, oh, it's on every level. It's just, I don't want to like discourage people who really want to do this. Like, I don't. <laughs> but I also think it's like, really important for you to know what you're facing so yeah. you can prepare for that. And one of the things I'm working on now and that 2019 is part of the projects that I'm going to establish yeah. is beginning to create those those that that infrastructure for supporting um our academic mental emotional development in those Mm. spaces the institutions aren't doing it so I feel like since we recognize the need and I feel like black women are so severely affected by it I want to create things that kind of bridge that gap and don't mean that we end up having to leave you know we end up just dropping out we end up quitting we end up taking our gifts into some other vocation because this one is literally killing us yeah it's Sorry, that's a really long monologue no i mean it's it's just unfortunately i i'm not at all surprised because yeah. i mean i've i haven't studied at phd level but when i went back as an adult to study at master's level you know i'm i'm a white woman yeah. i'm a middle class white woman and it's like I still felt those like old school shackles like and you're right there's so much that needs to change because we don't have those we don't have the diversity of voices and of opinions and of research and of ideas it's just like we're just stuck still kind of in this time gone by aren't we you know and what what kinds of things like do you feel you needed to have supported you more like with this work that you want to do in 2019 what are those kind of things that you want to touch upon I mean I probably won't share that stuff because I um only the 2019 stuff because I think it's really important to do things before you speak about it there's something about speaking about stuff and then you lose the impetus to do it (laughs) (laughs) it's like like that's the brilliant idea I feel satisfied (laughs) by people's reception to it yes that's a great idea and then I'm like well do I need to do it (laughs) so I probably will continue to work on that in quiet but in terms of like 
what I'm what I needed whilst I was studying this is something that I'm really reflecting on because I I definitely think I was quite traumatized by my PhD experience and like well, the thing about trauma is that it can create a shock or a freeze point in which you literally just shut down and so that happened to me like I I, I realized there's actually one occasion where I was like writing a book chapter and I was crying I just couldn't even write it and my critical voice kicked in. It was like, look at you, you're at PhD level, you can't write a few thousand words. I was like crying at the computer and I messaged one of my friends, she didn't MA at the time. And she was like, this is, this, this is really bad for you. Like, <laughs> just like, I think you should stop. Like, yeah. I was like, I can't stop. I have to <laughs> like, like your God. mental health, mental health. I was like, okay, like you're right. And I stopped and then I didn't look back for ages. I was just like, cannot cope, cannot open that, cannot even begin to investigate the, the, the complexity of things that brought me to this like space of paralysis where I couldn't write again and you know all of that going on and so I've only really recently started to open that up one yeah. turning to my PhD I'm like I'm back to writing it now and then two um just because it's necessary to heal whatever that was yeah. so I am starting to kind of conceptualize what were the things that I needed I think um I think I needed better recognition and support of my mental health from the get-go and like I said I was kind of like first diagnosed with clinical depression in 2010. And I think it's quite amazing that I've done as well as I, I have done in terms of like my academic um, career, given the depths, you know, of despair, suicidal thoughts, all of that that I've been through. And I, I do believe that for whatever is currently in place in universities, and at least in the ones that I've been in, there wasn't enough critical intervention at all. And the only thing that you kind of get is like you can possibly get some time off mm. and then you're left to your own devices to figure out what your well-being your healing your recovery looks like and then you come back into that same critical culture when you're ready enough you know so I feel like I needed um adjustments around the way I was writing you know and my approach to producing knowing that I suffer with depression and anxiety yeah. that the the thing about the institution is that you know it's pushing out numbers in some ways you know what I mean it's not tailored to individuals in any way yeah. so it it doesn't have that interest in the individual the, the well-being of individuals so there was and I don't even put this on my supervisors because in many ways they were trying to survive their own difficulties and experiences yeah. of navigating the institution you know it's a it's a I don't even know what to call it so I feel like I didn't get much mental health support I also feel like I didn't one of my greatest regrets about my PhD process is I don't think that I, I was stretched or I grew um, intellectually because it's a very isolated siloed space I know some academics who are really working on that at the moment and trying to change it but essentially you spend all your time writing on your own reading on your own and then you see someone once a month and that's it and that is not uh I don't I don't grow very well underneath that and I don't know very many um British academics who do and very often like um American students who would come over would be like what is this like <laughs> why don't you have a program like why do you why is it that you just come here and you write and that's it like there's no you don't have a PhD program. Like you're right. you're paying to come here, but there's literally nothing here. Yeah. The library and yourself, you know? And then yeah. and 
Bennett to talk to every now and then. So for me, there was nothing in place around growing and stretching me. So I, I felt like I didn't reach my potential during that time. Mm. And a lot of the things you produce is so is so isolated. Mm. And for anyone who already is like managing their emotional, mental well-being, that level of isolation is not good for you. So yeah. there's all that stuff as well. And then, of course, I think um, just the the whole culture around learning that happens in higher education, whether it's, you know, there's a lot, there's a decolonial movement at the moment, you know, like why is my curriculum white? Like thinking about the, the, the syllabus itself, what we're teaching, why we're teaching that. But there's also, I think, a next level, which is our approach to teaching itself. I, my students always loved me because my approach to teaching is, um, I don't know, I'm really diverse about how people experience and receive information, you know, and, I believe my classes should be alive. It should feel alive. And I loved, you know, making things come alive and feel real for them. And I feel like we don't have enough of that. So for me, I didn't have a more collaborative approach to learning. And I often said that, you know, you get the knife at PhD level, right? You get that knife of criticism, but you don't don't get that nurturing water. You don't really get... um, the space to, to 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 grow in the way a plant does, you know, to stretch yeah. yourself and to everything is very much like, you know, you need to write this many words by this amount of time. This these words are not good enough. This is a good idea, but this isn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so functional, and I think that really needs to change. I don't think. Um, I don't I think it's a very colonial approach to producing knowledge and the more that we open ourselves up spiritually to understanding that you know our emotions hold wisdom and knowledge our bodies hold wisdom and knowledge you know movement is really important then we need to be able to integrate some of those practices to how we produce knowledge in universities Mm -hmm. as well and allowing people to kind of recalibrate what they need um, in order to produce. So really small things like a lot of us, you know, you might not work really well during the day, right? Like yeah. you need like shifts around nighttime working and produ- I'm very nocturnal, like producing at night and then being able to have things that literally are attuned to your body clock and allowing you to not just do that on your own, right? Because you can be up at midnight typing away by yourself, but having collaborative workspaces, Mm. you know? So um, there's a lot that I'm thinking about. There's a lot of interventions that I want to suggest and begin making um, and then hope that that can seed things for other people. But we have a really, really long way to go. And truth be told, I don't know if these institutions are even the spaces in which um, it's going to happen. We actually may need to create centres and spaces that are outside of it and access supplementaries to that for people who need that. Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think you're right. It kind of needs to just be something completely new and different, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, And, you know, you were talking about the fact that you loved... Um, teaching and that was something that you really really got out of it how do you see that playing into the work that you do now because I know that you're doing the hangouts and that seems really really cool and creating that space and yeah I just wondered how that kind of is playing into to the stuff that you do today I've really accepted my role as a, a as an educator as part of my vocation like I think that that feels that is behind everything that I 
do. And so even with um, the birth chart course I did with you, which I adored, I really loved. That was a form of teaching for me, you know, yeah. taking the, I took time to study tarot and astrology. Like I really, I'm a researcher by nature. So I like took time out to like delve into the books and like really <laughs> understand. And I understand it at, you know, if I would say an intermediate level at least, a complex level that a layperson wouldn't. And so creating a space to to share those thoughts, but in ways that you can connect with, right? Ways that are relatable and practical for you. So that, like you said, you can go away and make something out of the information you've been given. And then I was doing that, you know, on an individual basis. But as you experienced, um, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's four weeks. There's a lot of like work to do. And I know that, I know that my calling is bigger. I know that I'm not, that there's too much um, beauty and there's too much of value in what I'm doing to only be doing it one by one by one. Like I know that I need to make this more available to people. So one of the things that I shifted to in terms of teaching this year was like webinars. And that was like a huge, big first step for me. I was very nervous on my first one, but it was like shifting away from just doing like one-to-one tarot appointments with people or one-to-one birth chart sessions really teaching some of the principles of that so like I did a a webinar on like introduction to tarot like learning how to use tarot cards for yourself and it kind of solidified for me yeah this is my approach but the connect is the same um it's generally a hangout so that you can just have a space to in a non-judgmental space a very relaxed space like we either come in our pajamas like it's online you know you can bring your glass of wine and just talk (laughs) about those questions that you have, right? Like what, like what is manifestation? Do you know what I mean? Like maybe you just talk, like, what is that? Like people talk about that all the time. Or why does a new moon matter? Yeah. Having those kind of questions. So we have those spaces. My intention is to make it very collaborative as well, because I want people to come and be able to connect with someone that they're like, I really like your personality or I like how you had um, how you said that and so for me I do lots of like group games or icebreakers that gets people to interact with each other so they get that sense of mm, I think I like you and I might want to be friends with you like outside of this space yeah and then I do um uh what I call my mini sermon since I was born in like a Christian background and I do on a Sunday so for <laughs> me it's like my little sermon space and I, I use that time to speak on a topic, right? Okay. A topic of interest. So I don't know um, when your audience will be hearing this, but one of the ones I'm doing next is like manifestation versus activism. You know, how much of this do we create internally? How much do we need to show up in the world and do things? So I'll take like 15 minutes to talk about that topic and then we'll all talk together. And then I do um, group tarot and individual tarot. So for me, it's taking that same emphasis as a teacher right I have Mm. a set of skills I have a knowledge base that I can share with others but again my approach to learning right is always innovative so I want it to be a space that's not literally you sit and listen to me and then you leave with your notes but that it's much more collaborative and it's a space for you to grow and feel nurtured so that's where it is I'm still I feel like I said my business is living and breathing, breathing. So I'm still really trying to learn how to take the the gifts that I have and the knowledge that I have and to structure it in a way that not just makes me money, right? Because that can't be the motivation yeah. for me. Like I want to earn and I want to be successful, but I want to create things that that really feeds others, like on a on a heart based level. Yeah. You know, that you turn up to or you you come to, you buy into, you purchase, you get, you work with me because you're like, there's something about what you're doing that really advances where I'm at in my life. And that's yeah. my always my emphasis. So for 2019, I definitely want to take 
teaching astrology to the next level. But again, I don't just want it to be, let me teach you about Mars and Venus, right? I want to figure out how I give you that information in ways that's alive, that you can make that um, come to life for yourself. So watch this space. I'm still still scribbling away and, and, and kind of coming up with ideas yeah that's cool and I just I I love the way that you as I said in the beginning like you know the way that you connect with your community on Instagram and it's like you just put yourself out there you're very open and you're very raw and like over the last year you can see that people are just drawn to you and they're drawn to the work that you do and it's it's amazing and obviously you're continuing to create these things that are obviously really really important to you and like you can't fake that stuff can you do you know what I mean like people obviously know this is coming from your heart and it's like they want to be involved in that and it's yeah it's amazing it's it's amazing it's lovely to see all these projects like coming into fruition it's awesome thank you um but I just have one last question um and it's a bit of a classic one but it's um what would you say to your younger self Oh, her. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, I like this question. Mainly because I'm going to choose my teenage self because I work a lot with my child self. So I actually have, I keep a mental image of myself about two, three years old. And I use that for like mothering as in I, I, take that approach to be a mother to myself at this point in my life and to give myself the things that I think I missed like when I was growing up and I find that really helpful you know in moments of crisis or uncertainty to be able to visualize my two-year-old self and hold her and say we're good I've got you you know it's fine and I find that really helpful but my teenage self my goodness she had a really hard time and (laughs) She was very, very, very hard on herself. I think one of the things that I would tell her is um, to release the idea of control to begin with, you know, like responsibility is important, showing up, but control is an illusion. And her, my attempt to control my circumstances, my situation, I mean, we don't have time to talk about it, but I actually had a... um, eating disorder when I was in my teens that was kind of born as well out of my world feeling very out of control and so realizing that the control was really an illusion and trying to bend into the chaos and the uncertainty of things as much as possible and recognizing that there is something at work bigger than me that always comes you know that always holds me that always comes to me that always guides me if I'm open to listening so I think that's one of the main things that I would say and um to take myself less seriously I was a very serious child (laughs) I am still actually a very serious adult but (laughs) (laughs) but I'm finding I'm finding I have I have a very playful side that rarely gets to express itself (laughs) I'm trying to learn like what it is and who it is sometimes it's around specific people like yeah. what conditions and what people bring out my joy and my playfulness yeah. and to allow myself to not be so serious because I'm super serious I am I don't think you're super serious I am so serious <laughs> um and do you feel like you have to be reminded of those things still now sometimes like about control yeah. and I think this year was um 
one, I think it was last year that SZA put her album out called Control and I love that album. And the little skits on it where her, her mum kind of reminds her, kind of what I'm saying, that control is an illusion, like, you know, let go. And I was holding on for dear life for a lot of this year. And <laughs> I just started to see how much of my circumstances were outside of my control. But I also saw the magic of that. I also saw how things worked out better than I could have planned them. That's yeah. where I started the okay like and I mean the worst of things like you know that I went for a period of being homeless this year and for me oh my goodness I was like worst case scenario for me and I felt so out of control and like felt like I failed and I was like I took this great leap of faith to do this business and now where will I live and it was like oh my goodness man I really crumbled under the pressure of that and it was really like the chaos of a storm that you know, when you watch those movies and like someone gets shipwrecked and then they get like swept up onto some yeah. like and it's an ideal location. Or yeah, something. yeah. That's literally what my life did to me this year. Like the shipwreck that I went through swept me into situations and scenarios that were so good for me mm. that I wouldn't have thought of, neither would I have chosen. Like I just wouldn't have opened myself up to that. And so after going through that, um, it's like I'm realizing the worst of things may not be the worst of things right yeah. like everything isn't as it looks like and so this year has really taught me that and that's why I'm back on this like relinquish control um particularly the big things I probably am still kind of like I'm finicky about small things in my yeah. life but I'm trying to release control with the big things and when I did my year planner because we're in you know the end of the year now and I kind of did this work of like looking at the year and one of the things I realized is that last year I made a lot of time for play this year I didn't this mm-hmm. year it was a hard year, in fairness. Yeah. This year, I didn't spend time with friends, really. Like, I could count the amount of times, probably on two hands, that I saw my friends. And I just, you know, I, I buckled down, I hatched down, I tried to weather the storm, but I didn't create time to play. Mm. And I've that, that's the part of me that's very serious, that takes life super seriously. Yeah. That's like, oh, you must succeed, you must figure this out. So you know I'm back to my oh my goodness man like (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I do I do still have to remind myself those things yeah okay so next year there's going to be loads of things in the pipeline and more play 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 yes that sounds good that sounds good all right my love well thank you so much for your time it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and thank you for your honesty um in everything that we've chatted about I really appreciate it thank you for having me and also as someone who works with me on your birth chart it brought me no end of joy to see you expand out in these ways creatively and to start this podcast so it feels really full circle for me to like come back and be doing this with you you've seen it all from the beginning I have (laughs) (laughs) all right darling okay lots of love to you thank you And there you go. That was my chat with Leona. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, You can find the um, information about the book that Leona referred to, Brené Brown's um, The Gifts of Imperfection in the show notes, as well as all of the ways in which you can connect with Leona and find her online. Um, Also, if you enjoyed that episode, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. I will speak to you next week for another episode. Bye.